0: Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Morning, church. Good morning. So good to see you here. My name is Pastor Craig. If I hadn't had the opportunity to meet you... Uh, just on behalf of our team, as Pastor Chad just said, there goes some cards. That's totally fine. Um, my Bible has a lots of message cards. Anybody else's Bible in the room have a lot of message cards? Come on, anybody else have a lot of message cards from the last few months? With that being said, was a perfect segue, if you did not receive a message card when you came in the room today, you can raise your hand right quick, and one of our ushers would be glad to serve you. But this is just a way to follow along today. And um, I'm so super excited and grateful that you're here for our back-to-school celebration. And um, it is amazing how quick summer goes. But we've been in a series over the last few weeks called Multiply. Everybody say Multiply. We're talking about the the, uh, the the life and the witness of Abraham. Of course, the father, the father of all faith. We, we see him as being the head of three major world religions. It's really amazing when you talk about it. It's hard to kind of overestimate uh, the significance of Abraham. Uh, when you When you talk about... Uh, God's just role and plan in salvation, His redemptive purpose in all of history. And uh, my message today, I, 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 like all, I guess, preaching on Sunday mornings, I've never done this message before. and So what I want you to do is I want you to stick with me. Uh, this is going to come out a little bit different than normal. There's a lot on my heart this morning. Um, I, I've been asking God this week, uh, not just let me preach what I want to, which is the fifth and final message, Genesis chapter 18, and and how Abraham very clearly displace for us what it means to stand outside of a city and intercede. But Lord, I've been asking him, what, what would be helpful to people? And so instead of doing some kind of grand message, this is kind of what I felt God leading me to speak to you today. And so I want to start with Acts 17, if you've got a Bible. Uh, Acts chapter 17 is where we're going to look, verse 26. You know, each of us, as we've been kind of by way of review talking over this last month of how each of us is placed into a community to pray And to sacrifice on behalf of that community. That's why God places us in the community. The Apostle Paul makes this very clear in Acts chapter 17. God placed you where you're at right now into the family that you're a part of. He placed you into that community so that you could ask for blessing and mercy there. God placed Abram next to Sodom and Gomorrah so he could ask for God's blessing and mercy on Sodom and Gomorrah. That was his intention in putting you where he did. He puts you in the city he puts you in because he wants you to intercede on behalf of the people that are in that city. He wants, another way we can say this is whatever God gives to you, he wants to multiply through you. He wants to multiply through you and your life into the lives around you. Acts 17, 26, Paul explains that, that God predetermined, notice this, the pre allotted periods and boundaries. Look at Acts 17, 20, 26. And 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 boundaries, notice this, of your dwellings. Amazing. Of people's dwelling places. Why did he do all this? God predetermined you would be in America. You would live for this hour. You would live in the city you live in, the house you live in, the neighborhood you live in, the cul-de-sac you live in. For the time that you would live there. He did all of that. Why? Well, the Bible is very clear. So that, catch this, so that, he says, they might learn to seek God. In other words, God sovereignly... Arranges where people live so that people in those places might seek him. Now, I praise God just went into contract on my house in Cleveland, Tennessee this week. Thank you so much for your prayers. Praise God for that. Within 24 hours, I got another contract on another house right here in North Georgia. And so we're kind of in the transition of both of those. And and we're moving into this neighborhood called Rosebrook Estates. But When we move into this neighborhood called Rosebrook Estates, my plan, at least at this point, it may not be God's plan. I'm not saying 110%, but but I plan to be there at least the next 10 years when I live. And I'm going to have probably many, many neighbors that move into that neighborhood. I talked to a person this week. They moved here to get a job inside the city of Atlanta but I know that God brought them down here to metro Atlanta and moved them into my neighborhood and moved them next to you and your house because he wanted them to hear about Jesus and according to this scripture that's why God does everything he placed you in your community your neighborhood your apartment complex that others might receive Jesus might receive the news about Jesus so my question today is do you see your neighbors that way do you see your neighbors that way? Are you praying for them to that end? Because I think, that, I think about that often when I get sit down on a plane. I was just on a plane a few weeks ago. and Of all the people I could have sat down next to on the plane, God had sent me next to you. And God must be seeking you because he put me next to you. And that's not an arrogant statement. That's a scriptural statement. God must be seeking you because he put your seat next to my seat. And God puts me in my seat that men might seek him. That men might find him, though he's not far from any of us. He put me in our allotted dwellings and allotted places and boundaries, which includes the seat that you occupy on the plane. Now listen, I usually don't say that to them the first thing, okay, before we've even taken off, but I try to get to that point in conversation because I think it's true. God placed you in that family. He put you in that community, that airplane seat, to pray and to give and to sacrifice on that person's behalf. Listen to me, Dwelling Place Church. That's why God placed us in Woodstock, Georgia. You understand this. This is why God put us inside of this community. Why? That we would literally, our place, it's our destiny, our desire. He put us here to bless this community, to make us a blessing to the people around us. Our placement here is proof that he wants to extend mercy to Woodstock. I'm not getting any amens, and I'm just on about the introduction this morning. That's why he put us here. He placed us here and to prove that he desires to seek after those people. So I get asked a question from younger people a lot. I've been asked this question many, many times in ministry. Um, A lot of younger people, I'm not saying only younger people, but a lot of younger people come to me and say, Craig, what advice would you give? Or what's the secret to ministry? Another another way they ask that question is, what advice would you give to a younger leader? Uh, and, And if you're not a younger leader, don't think that it doesn't apply to you because I also get the question, what advice would you give to someone who's starting out on a new journey? What advice would you give to a high school student that's trying to figure out what to do with his or her life? Today's back to school prayer celebration. What advice would you give to that person? In fact, I was just speaking to students a few weeks ago. I was at a at a conference and I was speaking to students and I'm standing there after the service like many times happens and there's 30 or 40 students that are wanting to greet you, right? And they're wanting to be cordial and they're wanting to talk and so this young kid comes up to me and he's standing in front of me and he says, "Uh," says, "Uh, I feel called to be a pastor. He said, Pastor Craig, what advice would you give me? Now, that's an open, open-ended kind of loaded question, right? I mean, that's a tough question when 30 people are waiting in the line behind them. And I've got 30 seconds maximum to tell this young buck a little bit of advice about what I should say to follow in full-time pastoral ministry. Now, that's very difficult for a person that likes to communicate like me. I always feel very constricted in those moments, and I don't know whether or not to say no to the next 39 Or I I just give him a 30-second, or do I point him to another person, or do I give him an email address? I, I love that question, but I feel very difficult to be able to answer that. And so I left that conference, and I drove back home. And as I was driving back home, it would never leave me. What advice would you give to a person starting in a new journey? And so I thought today, you know what I'll do? I'll answer, and I'll unpack that question. I'll unpack the answer to what is it that God asks you to do when you are to venture into the unknown when you are to follow like Abraham in the footsteps of the unknown. To venture into territory that's so unfamiliar. It's a tough, tough question. So I want to say a few things to those of you who are on the beginning row or the front end of following Jesus. Because I'm not, although maybe I'm on the front end of church planning, I'm not on the front end of following Jesus I'm certainly not even on the front end of pastoral ministry. So I want to say a few things because I don't necessarily say I'm in the middle end. I hope I'm kind of front to middle end uh, based on what God has for me. But let me say some things to those on the front end. Let me say something to you that I think will just really be uh, such an encouragement to your soul. Because you need to know that I, like you, Pastor Chad, my wife, we sat in the exact same place you did. I remember being 16 years old and I got these dreams and I got these passions and the desires and these unique abilities and gifts and talents and, and I'm sitting there and I, and, and I don't exactly know where all of that intersects and I especially don't know what that looks like next year and I don't know what that looks like the year after that and I don't know what that looks like five years and I don't know, I don't, I have no idea what that looks like ten years down the road and, and I was getting all this pressure like you do today I was getting all this pressure as I was coming up into my teenage years and into my college years. This pressure because it was the big thing at the time I was in high school to have a five-year plan. And you need to have it zero and photocopied. And, and you need to have it laminated. And the edges, you know, perfectly cut and, and centered and edged. And, and, and you need to have a 10-year plan. And you need to know exactly what you're called to do. And, and I always, at 16 years old, stressed over that. I spent so much time asking the question about God's will. And then I got stuck in this cul-de-sac... As a Christian, and, and so many Christians get stuck in called trying to find God's will for my life. That, by the way, is a cul-de-sac, and that, by the way, is from the devil. Can I just go ahead and tell you that? That is from the devil. That pressure of trying to find God's will, that pressure of you've got to know God's will at 18, it's of the devil because of all of a sudden, when you get in high school, everything you look at is, oh, my gosh, how do you know God's will for your life? Is he God's will is she God's will? Is that person God's will or is this person God's will? Is this career God's will? Or how do I know what career I should choose? Should I choose that path? path? path or this path as if God's will was a needle and some kind of spiritual haystack that only a few people lucked up on in life and they could tell you for sure that I am in the middle of God's will I know exactly what God wants me or for me but come on everyone else including me we are stressed to the maximum trying to answer the question what is God's will for my life now I hope you're there with me in the message Because that's where we're going to journey the rest of the time. Well, what is his will? Well, what does he really have for me? So I was stuck in between. you got to have a five-year plan and a ten-year plan. I was stuck between that and I did not. And do you know what God's will for your life, which I wasn't 100% sure, so I kind of felt in limbo. In my pastoral ministry, I've found that most people, not just that age, 35, 45, 55-year-olds, still feel In that limbo. And then what happened is I started down the road of life, and I discovered that five- and ten-year plans are absolutely worthless in the kingdom of God. Now, if you're a parent in the room, you're like, oh, no, you did not just say that. Please, my son's sitting right next to me, my daughter. Let me clarify, let me clarify, but let me tell you. I want you to understand five- and and ten-year plans in God's economy are worthless. Let me make a bolder statement. Finding God's will isn't what's really on God's heart for you today. It's not his primary concern. Now, let me clarify. I want to blow up for a few minutes the myth that there is some magic dot somewhere on the map that you have to figure out, seek, try to decode and decipher so that you can live the life God wants you to live. I want to begin today by making a bold statement. God isn't interested in giving us a detailed roadmap to life. God is not interested in that. It is not really high on his priority list. So he does love you very much. He loves you very much. Now, I need to make this very real and personal, so let me just start right over here. All right, Tori. Tori, you're my anchor person. Tori, let's just make it personal. Don't get nervous. They're not looking at you. They're looking at me, okay? So just, you're good, okay? You're good? Don't pass out. Okay, stay right there. So, Tori, let me make it personal a minute. God loves you personally. He loves you unconditionally. There's nothing you can do to increase that love. There's nothing you can ever do to decrease that love. He loves you right now the most to ever love you. He loves you personally. God loves you. He has specific purposes and plans for your life. That's what God does. It's different than anybody else. You're not like the, the girl in the end. You're not like Jocelyn, who's going to be an upcoming senior as well. You're not like her. You're not like her or her. Or you're not like her or her or her. Or him. Which, by the way, guys, odds are pretty good if you go to dwelling place, you can find a wife pretty quickly, all right? So, like, it was God's will for you to come to a dwelling place, and if you can't find her here, we can't help you, bro. Don't come ask for a coffee date with me and say, I'm praying for a woman. Open your eyes, bro. Join the welcome team. Welcome to Dwelling Place, honey. How you doing, baby? You doing good here? Come on inside the sanctuary, you know? I mean, just, you think about it. It's a lot. It's pretty good odds, right? But but think about it for a minute. God has a personal, specific plan for Tori Calvert. Destiny is custom designed, but mediocrity is mass produced in our culture. God has a a very clear, distinct purpose for your life. And the thing that makes you unique is what makes you useful in the hands of God. That's what it means to be a peculiar people. It's what makes you useful in God's hands so you aren't wired up like her. And your attitude's not like her and your personality's not like her and your humor's not like her. And your your ability to connect with people is not like her. Your interpersonal relationships are not like her. And so what we end up doing is all of us start off as originals, and by the end of our life, we end up carbon copies, right? And and, and what happens is we get into life and we start thinking, you know what? I'm looking at everybody else, and I wish I was more like him, and I, I wish I was more like her, and I wish I was more like him, and I was just if I could just be a little bit more like her and God's saying, No, 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 no. Tori, don't be like him. Don't be like her. Don't be like the other person. No, no, no. God's saying, no, 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 no. I took a lot of time, a lot of energy making you exactly like you. That's what, I, that's what I did. That's what God says to us. And the most important thing about us, about you, Tori, is that we are wired into us and wired into you and wired into me is the ability to have a relationship with creator God. So with our, within our unique gifts, within our unique dreams, within our unique passions, wired into you Tori is the ability to have a relationship with the God of the universe and can I just tell us dwelling place that is the most important thing about you that is the most important thing about me and that is the most important thing to God today is not that he gives you a detailed roadmap? it's that he you and he have a personal intimate relationship one with another and he's far more interested come on I'm preaching this morning in that he's far more interested in developing a love relationship on faith and trust than he is in giving you a blueprint, giving you an outline, giving you directions, and sending you off in life. Do you know why, by the way? Because we humans are not the smartest creatures, and God knows very clearly, as soon as we get a blueprint from God, we are on our way, not looking back. We're on our way. And that's why on most seasons of my life, God, when he begins to stir me for the next season, he always leaves multiple details completely blank. And it's usually the where, to be honest with you, in my life. The where is usually last. Just my personal experience. And I used to think, God, you're just up in heaven. Just, you're just wanting me to seek so hard. You really don't want me to kind of find your will. You want me to seek to find your will. And God's just like, no, I'm not going to give you the where because you'll start putting faith in plan when I want you to put faith in the author of the plan and so I'm more interested in you coming to me as your author than you following my plan for your life and this is how God operates this is how God leads his people so here we are putting more trust sometimes in the plan than the author God wants us leaned into him not looking for a plan and it's really simple really you know, the number one song in Christian music over the last few years, particularly 2014, 15, and the beginning of 16, it was the number one on iTunes for like 18 months. It was a song by Hillsong called Oceans. Remember this song, Oceans? This song, Oceans, uh, this song swept, somehow swept the body of Christ globally. It's pretty amazing. And people are always ask the question, why is Oceans hit like no other song? I think, can, if you just follow me a minute, I think that it swept the the Christendom, and the world of Christianity quicker than other songs, maybe because it touched down on what God wants to talk to us about this morning. What do you mean? The song opens with this lyric. You with me? I think I put it on your card. He says the very first word. The song says, you call me out upon what? The waters. The great what? Unknown where what would happen? Feet may fail. Where feet may fail. And so this song somehow swept the church, right? The song swept the church. People started singing it all over the globe, right? Where it's, where it's understanding, you know what? I can't, I want you, God, to lead me to the place where I can't touch bottom anymore. Something about that song communicates to us in our hearts. Where it's not like me in a kiddie pool of faith. And this is most Christians, right? Where it's like me in a kiddie pool of faith. And, and I'm sitting here, and I'm ankle deep, in faith, ankle deep in faith, but I believe in God. I know that God is sovereign. I trust in you, God. I believe in you, God. I'll kind of lean into you, God. I'll believe in you. I'll trust in you. You're sovereign. But I'm still in kiddie pool kind of faith, where, where I trust in you and you're almighty, but I'm still going to stay here. My feet are firmly planted on concrete. I'm always going to know. I've got a five-year plan mapped out. I've got a 10-year plan mapped out. And, and so I've been enough church, Pastor Craig, to know this. I, I'm cool with this series but I know that my life at the end of this year is gonna be no different because I'm gonna stay in the kiddie pool. I I can hear you speak to me. I can hear the spirit of God beckon my heart in the air of trust. I moved like crazy last Sunday but but I I just feel like, you know what? I need to stay in the 10-year plan right now and I'm gonna stay in the kiddie pool of faith. I'm gonna keep my base really strong. I'm gonna make sure that I'm on concrete at all times and I got all this mapped out. I know how this works. I'll kind of do my thing. I'll pursue my job and I'll kind of add Jesus onto my job and then I'll kind of get involved in church and get married. And, and just pay my tithe and be faithful. And so, Lord, I'm just going to kind of stay right here. And, Lord, I'll do my thing. You do your thing. And, 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 and basically, God, I love you, but I'm going to live a kiddie pool kind of faith all of my life. And God is saying, look, dwelling place, I want each of you, I got each of you a plan for every single person. I want to take each of you on a journey that will blow your mind. It will blow your mind. Why? Because you only get one lifetime on planet Earth. Folks, do you realize it's gone like this? This is not a dress rehearsal. You get one of them. I celebrated my grandmother's birthday last night in Chattanooga. She's 79. And I said, babe, I love you. I want you to live to 95. But do you want me to do your funeral when you die? And I started asking her, what do you want me to, what do you want me to say about your funeral? What do you want to talk about in your legacy? I, I just, I just talked to her. I just do this. Death is a best friend for a believer, right? I mean, it really is. I mean, anyone would be excited to get delivered from Auschwitz camps, and that's what happens when you leave Earth to go to glory, right? I mean, no one would be saying, "Oh, I don't want it." You know what I'm saying? So, so I asked her. I said, "Hey, you know what? What is it that you what 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 is your legacy about? What do you want communicated? We've got one. We don't have a practice run. This is it." And it's over. And God does not think of any person in this room. And when he thinks of you, God does not think of you like words like average, words like ordinary, words like baseline, like lowest common denominator, like, you know, regular, run of the mill. He's thinking, you know what? No, I want to take you on this grand, epic adventure out of the shallow end, the kiddie pool faith. I want to take you on an amazing adventure that will blow your mind. And whatever you're dreaming about, it's not big enough. Whatever Whatever kind of thinking you think you can have in terms of the grandiose plan of God God says my thoughts are not like your thoughts my thoughts are higher than your thoughts I am God I am the Lord and there is no other God said I'm God and there's no one beside me and I and you are going to walk together on a journey in life and by the end of it I am looking for your mouth to be on the floor I'm looking for you to be blown away with my plan I'm looking for you to be literally awestruck with the faithfulness of my son this is what God thinks about your life not my life not not just my life but your life. Listen, so many of you want to stay here. Can I just say to attempt something in life with no risk of failure is to attempt something with no need of faith. I want to say it again. To attempt something in life with no risk of failure is to attempt something with no need of faith. And that won't please God. That won't please God. Craig, would you ever grow to a place where you don't have to walk by faith anymore? Eh. You never grow to a place. Listen to me. Your path to God's promise is going to be miraculous. If it wasn't miraculous, it would look like you did it. Can I say it again? Your path to God's promise will always be miraculous it will always blow your mind. If it wasn't, it would look like you did it. And so we got to be careful not to, that we don't get stuck in this cul-de-sac of trying to find God's will or that we get squeezed by the culture that tells us you have to its life in such a way that kind of puts out God to the margins before it's all said and done. And God is saying today, listen to me, place. if I really am God, is he? And I really did create you to know me, then would you will be willing to step out into a place with me and let go of your future. And let go of your dreams and plans. And would you come to God at the beginning of the new school year and say, God, whatever you have in mind for me, that's what I want to be a part of today. That's what I want to be a part of. The psalmist writes it this way. Go to with me to Psalm 37 and read the New American Standard. Psalm 37, verse 3, 4, and 5. Notice what the text says. He said, trust in the Lord. Everybody say, trust in the Lord. And do good. Catch that. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Verse five. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do it. There's four phrases I want to touch on very quickly. First one's this Trust in the Lord and do good. Say that with me. Trust in the Lord and do good. Do good. I want to call you and me today to kind of step out in faith and park the panic button a minute. Kind of park the panic over what are my plans going to be because some of you right now are graduating high school and you still don't know what college you're going to go to and and and, and there has to be decisions made and some of you are in a brand new school year and you're transitioning jobs or maybe some of you are in a brand new place that you're reevaluating your career and what God's called you to do And and so I want you to put park on the panic button today and understand that step one is for you to come before the Lord your God and, and, and come back to the beginning of your relationship and say, you know what? I want to trust in the Lord. Before I do anything else, I want to trust in the Lord. People are going to say, well, well what decision are you going to make? Because they're gonna do it, buddy. They're, they're going to do it. They're going to pressure you. Well, what decision are you going to make next? And say, you know what, I, I'm not really sure about that. And it's okay to give them this answer. But let me tell you what I am proactively doing. I right now in this waiting, I am choosing to trust in the Lord. <laughs> Maybe this message is for me. I'm just going to keep on going, preach myself happy. I'm just going to trust in the Lord where I'm at, where my feet are planted. I'm going to come before you without answering any questions and saying, God, I trust in you. Which, by the way, trust in the Lord is never a passive thing. It's never sitting back and saying, okay, God, you're in charge. I'll sit back and chill out over here. When you do something, come get me. No, 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 no. He says, trust in the Lord And do good. Are you catching me? And do good. In the waiting mode, keep doing the very best at what God has put right in front of you. If you don't keep doing the very best at what God has put right in front of you in the waiting game, your waiting game and waiting room will continue to be extended. You do the best. But let your attitude be, while I'm doing what I'm doing, I'm trusting you, God. I'm trusting that you're a sovereign God who will direct And orchestrate the affairs of my life. See, listen, listen to me. I think that when we have a picture of a little God, we have a high need of a detailed plan. But when our view of God becomes expanded to an extraordinary God, our need for a detailed plan becomes very minimal. It becomes very low. In other words, our need for a detailed plan is directly correlated to how big we view our God. Because when I see God and get a picture of who God is, and I know that He created me, and He chose me, and He loves me, and He has a plan for me then all of a sudden this fear and panic and terror and anxiety of missing His will all of a sudden dissipates because I know that God is for me and we belong to Him and we're loved by Him. And if all of that's true, and all of that's true, is not God going to lead us into His purposes for our lives? Our God will be faithful. Craig, I, I don't see God orchestrating your, my steps. I told a person this week, if you don't see God orchestrating your steps it can only mean one thing you've become the conductor and you need to pass the baton if you don't see God divinely sovereignly orchestrating your life it's because you're in the driver's seat you're in charge you're predisposed So many people in ministry, young people, are looking for opportunities. It's the land of opportunity. Man looks for opportunity. God looks for obedience. Oh, I want another opportunity. No, you don't need another opportunity. You need obedience in your current opportunity. And isn't it funny when you're obedient, you get more opportunities than any connections will ever give you. There's no connections, relationships, relationships hobnobbing, connecting with people, all of that is secondary to obedience with what God has put in front of you today. The more obedient I am, the more opportunities that come my way. Abram's called the father of our faith. The father of our faith, he was faithful to God before the cross. And because he was faithful before the cross, God counted it to him as what? Righteousness. Righteousness. He lived with his family in Haran. Go back to Genesis 12 We me. Let's read it again. I preached in week one of this series called Trust and Follow Me, but I'm going to read the text again. Genesis 12. This is how the story unfolds. Follow with me. Verse 1. The Bible says, and the Lord said to Abram, I love this, leave your native country, leave your relatives, leave your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Everybody say, I will show you. That's the plan, Abraham. Leave your country. <laughs> leave your people. Leave your father's household. So pack it all up. And as you get going, I'll show you where we're going. This is the way God leads his people, folks. Can I just be honest with you? This is the only way God leads his people. Leave it. And then as we start walking, what I'll I'll begin to do is I'll begin to show you. God never says, hey, I'll give you a a 60-day blueprint of how this will work out at your job. I'm going to give you a a 30-day blueprint so you're going to know all the details of how it's going to look out. God always says, step out first. What did he say to to Peter when he's in the boat? You want to come to me? C-O-M-E. Come. Get out of the boat, and then you'll see if you can defy the laws of gravity. I'm not asking you to have some detailed plan before you obey my voice. But if you obey my voice, you want to follow me? Jesus says, follow me. In other words, this is the way God lives leads his people come on he says to Abraham leave everything and go to the land I will show you not go to the land that I have shown you I will show you as we go here comes the promise verse 2 look at the promise this is so powerful and I will make you into a great nation pastor Chad talked about the prom the process of becoming the recipient of the promise he says I will make you into a great nation I will bless you and I will make you famous you want that you like that you want your name to be great, Abraham? Well, his name's pretty great because we're talking about him 6,000 years later. So he, God kind of came through on that promise. He made his name famous, made his name great. I will bless you. I'll make you famous, he says, and then you're going to be a blessing to others. That's God's promise to him. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Pause. What if God came to you today, literally came to you in this gathering, and he said, hey, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And uh, I'll bless you, and I'm going to make your name great. Would you like that? Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to bless you again. Can I say it one more time? Okay, I'm going to bless you. You like that? Cool, awesome. Uh, I'm going to bless those who bless you. You like that? That's great. Okay. And then I'm going to do business. I'm pretty strong, and I'll do business with those who don't like you. Okay, those who treat you with contempt, I'll do business with them. I'll kind of take care of them. Would you like that? Okay. Uh, And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to use your life, Craig, and I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth through your life. Would you like that? Let's make it personal. If God came to you and made that promise to you today, the honest answer is many of you today, maybe I'm wrong, but follow me, you would say, I don't know. You would say, is it going to be hard? Will any friends go with me? Is it going to be lonely? Is it going to be difficult? More challenging than I first expected? Well, my friends got, what's the payoff? Now, I mean, many of us in this room would say, you know what? I want that. I want that promise, God. Yes, yes to that deal. I want all peoples of the earth, their lives, nations to be impacted because of my time on planet earth. I want that blessing. But catch this. The promise that you and I just read came on the backside of the calling to leave everything that he knew and that was comfortable to him and step out into the complete unknown with God. The promise didn't come until the calling was heated. Look at verse 4. I love this verse. I love this one. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and lot with him. Here it is. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Y'all, that is crazy. You know why I love verse 4? Because verse 4 blows up another American Christianity myth. You know what myth verse 4 blows up? The myth is that when you're 20, you figure it out. By the time you're 40, you settle in. By the time you're 60, you check out. Told you two weeks ago, Lot was the first American. He made all he can, canned all he got, set on his can. I'm going to give you another one. The myth of American Christianity is 20, figure it out, 40, settle in, 60, check out. God says, oh, no, 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 no no American Christians. I don't care if you grew up in America or not. That's not the plan. That's not the plan for you. The plan for you is not for you to kind of check out at 65. No, no. The plan is for you. When I come to you at 75 and I might say to you, let's leave everything that's familiar to you and let's go do something brand new. I want you to say, okay. I want you to say, okay, Lord, I have breath in my body. I have life and strength in my bones. I'm ready to follow you. Why? So that there is a continuum all through your life that all the way, the end goal for you and me is that we fall into the arms of Jesus. So I don't know what your passion is. That's the end of it all. Be a bioscientist. Be an engineer, young people. Be a politician. Be a a business maker. Be an entrepreneur. Whatever it is, be a filmmaker. Get onto the arc of your passion, whatever that is. But at the end of your arc and the end of my arc is that we fall into the arms of our Jesus. That's what we keep our eyes locked on. And up until that moment, Abraham shows us that everything is fair game, God. God, that's dangerous, y'all. Don't act like that's not dangerous. Until you breathe the last time, Abraham teaches us all things are fair game for you. It's all at your disposal, Lord. Do whatever you want to do and change whatever you want to change. As we keep an open hand, Lord, and say, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you to lead me. Can I just encourage you young people for a minute? Don't get on a track. Please don't get on a track where you're going to get a good job. First of all, you're going to go to school, and you're going to accumulate debt. Let's just go through America for a minute. Okay, so you're going to go to school. You're going to accumulate debt, right, unless you're really smart and go to Tim's class on Financial Peace University. Yeah, no debt, okay? So so let's talk about the average person, okay? Let's talk about the average because this is a major passion of mine with the university system. So you go to school, you get all kinds of debt you come out so you got to find a job to pay off your debt so you kind of work in that job for a little bit. You get on that track. You're going to get a wife, and then you're going to get a couple kids and get a couple animals, and you're going to build some tree houses, and you're going to live in a house, and then you're going to buy, start building kind of a, a 401K up, and then what you're going to do is you're going to find a local church in your community, and you're going to engage in the local church, and you want the local church just to minister to your kids and not really necessarily you because you're at that place in life where you don't need it anymore, and so you're just going to want your kids to be really connected, and and then you're going to get some pets and a nice house, and at some point, you'll get to that point where you can decide more of what you want to do to life because you're a little bit free to do it and so now you're a little bit more free to do that and all of a sudden then you can get the second home and then you can kind of chill out on the back side of life and do all the traveling you want to do and just kind of hang out and, and drive your grandkids crazy because you don't have anything else to do but to get on their case and to visit them every single weekend right and, and and listen i'm not i'm not beating you up but please young people don't get on that track that's not a wild epic adventure that's not a wild epic adventure that's an american adventure That's not a wild epic adventure. Oh, yeah, you may do some of those things, but don't predispose yourself to thinking that is only God's will. Get on the track that says you got one lifetime, one time to live on earth. What would you, why in the world would you want to retire at 65 and just sit for 30 years? I have nothing wrong with retirement. I love retirement. My parents are in retirement, but I tell them all the time, do not just sit and wait. Don't. That's not the goal. That's not what God's asking. Invest your life into the next generation. Pour out your life as a drink offering. I know I'm going to get there, sure, the Lord Terry, but you know what? I'm not looking forward to retiring. If I retire from the sense of ministry, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pour my life and find ways creatively to pour my life into the next generation. Get in that track. Abram was 75 years old. You know what that means? God isn't looking for us to make the step when we're crazy and young. This is the best thing I'm going to say to you all day. You ready? God isn't looking for us to make the step when we're crazy and young. He's looking for us to make the step when we are steadfastly looking at his greatness. And that can happen at any age of life. Any age. And saying, God, my life is safest in your hands. Craig, I'm a little confused right now. Because God's plan for me doesn't seem to be obvious. Can I encourage you? God many times does not guide us in an obvious way because He wants us to make decisions based on faith and character. And if it was always obvious, it would take little faith. It takes a little risk. Jesus said, I am the good what? Shepherd. Lean into me this morning. Hear just what my heart. If God moves you, Perhaps you were oblivious to the danger of staying in comfortable pasture for the next 20 years. And the Good Shepherd knows that. And he'll be faithful to guide you. Second thing he says is dwell in the land. Everybody say dwell in the land. And we hit this one fast and cultivate faithfulness. This is the practical. This is what you do when you are in the road to following God's will. In the meantime, by the way, can I just say real quick, most of our lives are neither spent are spent neither here nor there. But most of our lives are spent on the long road in between. Like, the there is church planting. And you get in church planting, you're like, I'm nowhere close to there. The there's there. <laughs> and the now's there. And so the whole road of life is spent between the there and the now. All right? It's like you're spending between here or there. And fortunately, that's where God's found on the road. Remember when Jacob's trying to figure out what God's called him to do? You know what he did? On the road to where God was calling to him. Our striving will never get us anywhere. Your striving will never get you anywhere. Sometimes you gotta simply lay down on the road. You gotta use a stone for a pillow called Bethel and you gotta see what God dreams for you. You gotta close your eyes and let angels descend and us stand on some, on some ladders and let God dream for you on the road to the there. So while you're trusting God in the Lord for your path and purpose. Say, God, I know you got something out there. Remember, you got to remember God is a sovereign God. We're worshiping a sovereign God. Everybody say sovereign. So that means most of what God is doing in our lives today is unseen. If I had to put it on to it, I'd probably say 5% seen and 95% is unseen. Well, that's encouraging. That's what it means to be sovereign. You're working behind the scenes. You're doing things that are unseen. So we're worshiping a God that is doing unseen. So so God is doing our lives, things that are unseen, so we have to base it off of what we do see about God or confidence about what we don't see of God. And some of you would answer back today and say, Pastor Craig, well, look, 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 my parents just blew up. My home is under fire. My dad lost his job. My marriage is struggling right now. My son is wayward. My mom has cancer. Everything's going crazy in my world right now. God, Craig, listen to me, is not really interested in, and he's not really orchestrating any grand, awesome plans in my life right now. And I would say to you, no, yes, he is because he's a sovereign God, and He's working in seen and unseen ways to put you on a path that you will never regret. God right now is working behind the scenes to put you on a path that will literally fulfill your hearts. Let me say it this way. When you obey, God orchestrates. When you obey, God orchestrates. My God, I'm done preaching to me today. When you obey, God orchestrates again. But it's not until I obey that then God's hand begins to orchestrate the future, begins to orchestrate the plan of God. This is why, in the meantime, he said, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. That means today, everybody in this room, we have one major assignment. You ready? Trust God for the future and cultivate faithfulness with whatever your hands are on right now. Trust God with the future and dwell and cultivate faithfulness with what you're touching right now. You can't just cop out and say, you know what? I don't know what God wants me to do, so I'll just check out. No, 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 no. Doing God's will always involves and requires you doing your very best. I'll say it again. Doing God's will always requires you doing your very best. That's how God's will works with what you have right now. And listen, when we don't grow today, we're telling God we don't care what he has for us tomorrow. i just kind of hang out. Shortcuts today create headaches tomorrow. You cannot circumvent the preparation process of God. I will tell you, you can't do it. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. His purpose for you is to understand. That there are no wasted moments in the economy of God. He's using everything in your life, happening in your life, present tense, to prepare you to be the person he needs you to be. Future tense, to live the extraordinary purpose he has you on this planet for. When I was in high school, I want to tell you a quick story. I had a few different jobs. One of my jobs was working at a daycare. Casey, I just want you playing keys, my man. The rest of the team can come in a second. When I was in high school, I, um, I had a few jobs. I worked at a daycare in summers at, at a, a church called uh, First Baptist, which is crazy. Me working with kids at that age. But my main job was to do yard work and landscaping. I, I paid for that rock on that left finger right there with lots of yard work. Lots of yard work. I'm talking about lots and lots of yard work. You got to do a lot of landscaping to pay for a diamond ring. You know what I'm saying? You just got to do a lot. And a lady across the street. Her name was Dorothy Dunn. You know her. I've talked many, many times about her. She was 83 at the time when I was 17. And she had a huge yard, y'all. I'm talking about a huge yard. She had one of those old houses, all one level, but it was like... Um, Four hundred fifty feet long. You know what I'm saying? It was just one of those. Way, just never ending, right? And uh, and she had a huge front yard, and she loved ornate landscaping. you know what I'm talking about? If I saw another piece of monkey grass, by the time I was sixteen to eighteen, I was ready to jump off a bridge. She got monkey grass, and she had all these beds, and she wanted me to do all the landscaping. And I would go over there, and I, sixteen years old, and Miss Dunn would come out, and she said, "Craig, I want today what I have for you." is I want you, and I don't know how many hours you can work for four hours. And she wanted me to get so many things done based on what she was paying me for an hour. She's like, I want you to put down black plastic. Y'all, I was so... I, I guarantee you I have covered Mercedes-Benz Stadium in black plastic. I'm not kidding. Weed block. I, I'd pull all the mulch up, put the weed block down. I would nail it, big old studs down in the ground, big old ties, land ties, you know, get it deep down in the ground. And I would do this all the time. And I'd go over to her house and she'd say... Craig, I got this bed for you today. I got that bed. I got that hedge. I want that rose bush cut. I want that weed block put down, flowers everywhere. She would walk me around. And let me see, she'd say, in the next six hours, I want these two beds done. Well, what that made it necessary for me to be is a, it's called efficient. I had to move quickly. So I would get up early in the morning, in the summer. I would walk across the street. And I would get my tools. She would have her tools sitting out next to the backyard. The backyard was this remote place. The plants and everything are waiting on me. I tell you this one funny story. I was mowing the yard in the backyard one time, and I went over this hole that was a yellow jacket hole, and I was wearing uh, I was wearing tennis shoes and. Uh, athletic shorts I went over the hole next thing you know I got about 15 yellow jackets I'm allergic to those things up my shorts y'all I ripped my entire clothes off sprinting across the street to my house you know what I'm saying if anybody saw that that was a crazy day right I mean I was literally whatever I could do to get these things out of my clothes and, and, and I was this is what I did every single day I must have laid hundreds of yards of wheat block I was in the backyard by myself and here's what my thinking was I just want to tell you I was thinking you know what I'm by myself in this yard. She's not going to be out. I'm going to spend six, eight hours here. It's hot. Doing this yard work is not brain-intensive work, thank God. So therefore, I have time to be with Jesus. So what I would like to do is I'm going to have time to be with Jesus in this backyard. And y'all don't even know this, you young people. We had things called walkments. I had to be really still when I bent down or it would skip. And it was too big for your pocket. It was, a, it was a CD player. It was a little walkman. And I had a walkman. And I said, you know what? I'm going to get my worship music on. And because I was in the middle of nowhere, I could talk out, out loud to God. And so I said, you know what? While I do this yard work, I'm just going to talk to God. I'm going to knock out these jobs no matter what comes today, no matter how hot it is today. I'm going to knock them out. I'll get it done today because me and Jesus are going in this backyard. And so I would work efficiently. I did that for a few years, y'all. Almost, almost three years. And finally it was time for me to go to undergrad. So I looked at Miss Dunn. I said, lady, I got to go on, baby. I'm going on to the next job. And I moved from Chattanooga, Tennessee to Cleveland, Tennessee. I left that job. I love seeing later when I came back for the summer that she ended up having to hire a landscaping company. Professional, might I add. And it took three of them to do the work in her yard that this one Jesus-loving machine did every single day. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to clap at that, but I'm just I was I was a Jesus loving machine. And what I figured out is because these three men probably hated it and saw it only as a job. That's where they got stuck. I saw it as an opportunity for me to spend time with Jesus, to love on Jesus, to be faithful with what's in my hand. You say, Craig, why are you telling me that today? I'm telling you that today because I can't be the church planter I am today without the backyard in Saudi Daisy, Tennessee. I can't be the minister I am today without cultivating faithfulness with some monkey grass day in, day out, summer after summer. What are you saying, Craig? God says you won't be who I'm calling you to be until you dwell in the land and you cultivate faithfulness right now you put your hands to what's right in front of you now it's the only way you can't just jump over the learning curve you have to go through the proving ground of character you have to go through the proving ground of character and that happens when you dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness Some of you are in here say, you know what, God, I I don't see how this is working out, but I'll just be faithful today. My God, you hear me today. I don't really see the plan coming together, God. I I see absolutely no part coming together, but I'm just going to be faithful today. Uh, This is what I, this is not, Pastor Craig, this is not what I really feel called to in life. That's cool. And I can't really see how this would lead to what I'm called to, but I'll just be faithful today. I'll just dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. And when I was in the backside of a House, doing something that wasn't too intriguing. No one's going to write a book about it. I wasn't there alone. God looks at those moments and says, if you'll be faithful a little, Craig, I can trust you with more. But listen to me. If you are revolting against the little in your life right now, God is never going to lead you into the greatness He's dreaming about in your life. If you're revolting, if you're pushing away, So many people would rather leap in faith than stay in obedience. Then be faithful to what God has right now. He goes on, the kids are gonna come in in a couple minutes. He says, third, delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That means God's willing to make a deal with you. Well, Craig, you don't know what my desires are. You have no idea what my desires are. Well, if you just delight yourself in the Lord, Don't have to worry about your desires, are why because if you will make your first priority Jesus, what comes to you will blow your mind. What comes to you will blow your mind. What comes to you will be desires that you never dreamed about. Did you know I wanted to be a pediatric neurosurgeon? That's what I wanted to be. Never happened, y'all. In fact, Lord called me to ministry with a dream in April of 2004. But in March of 2004, in my leadership class, we wrote on the board, Craig, neurologist and OBGYN. About 30 days before Jesus called me, I wrote in the blank, God, you want me to be a neurologist. What do you want me to be? You want me to be a pediatric neurosurgeon. I filled in the blank for God. God. he did he morphed every desire and that's what he does when you delight yourself in the Lord the desires that come to you are so different than what you ever dreamed of that's why he says delight in the Lord he'll give you the desires it'll be his desires his desires I was graduating and my principal wrote me a note you say Craig do you keep all this stuff absolutely I keep all this stuff my wife hates me for it but I keep it my principal Craig was elected as an excellent role model, Fellowship of Christian Athletes President. He's earned the respect of his peers, community service leadership, helping St. Jude, Tennessee River Rescue, achievements in community service. Craig's motivation, intelligence, character, and skills are exceptional. He has a 4.0 and a 4-point scale. He will achieve his goal of becoming a physician, and he will improve our world. come to you. And the last part he says, what did he say? Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord and He will do it. You know what that means, Craig? When you're waiting for God to fill in the blank, when you're waiting for God to fill in the blank, the greatest temptation you face is picking up your marker and fill it in for Him. If I can encourage anybody today who's waiting on God to fill in the blank, refuse the temptation to pick up the pen. Don't pick up the pen. Trust in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. and step by step. He'll do it. Get out of kiddie pool faith. Say, Lord, I'm following you. Listen, Craig, I'm a sovereign God. I'm orchestrating the affairs of this world. I'm running history. I'm in charge of it all. I have a place for you. I have a purpose for you. Nothing gets lost in my economy. Some of you are saying some of it's not working. It won't be used by God. No, nothing is wasted. No tears, no sorrow, no cancer, no death, no disability, no difficulty. Listen to me, young lady. No depression is wasted in the economy of God. God will turn that depression and cause you to minister to other people. There is nothing you go through that is wasted in God's economy. He's working all of it into a beautiful plan for you. All you have to do is open your hands and say, today I trust in the Lord and I will do good. I will dwell in the land and I will cultivate faithfulness. I will make my delight the Lord and He will give me the desires of my heart. I will commit my way to the Lord and I will trust Him and He will do it. So what we can do today is let's breathe out all of the anxiety. (sighs) Let's breathe it out, all the worry and the stress, and remember that all God's asking us to do today is say, Lord, I trust you at this moment, and you're going to do it all. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I'm reminded today that the cross was a mess, but all the while, it was the beautiful plan of God. About and everybody closed you're in this room and confusion and frustration may be in your mind some of you are saying I can't make sense of what God's doing right now I can't make sense of where he has me the job he has me the place he has I can't make sense of it Lord I'm asking those who feel that way that they would lift their eyes to the cross because on that day it looked like the cross was a colossal mess (laughs) but you were working a beautiful plan today in every life in this room things may look like a mess but they're a part of the beautiful amazing plan of our God right now Holy Spirit would you come into every heart and set every heart free today to run with the passion you've given them and they would not settle just for a job but they would run with the passion you've created them most of all God today we just want you Again, thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at www.dwellingplacemovement.org.